beginning actually with Jeremiah 14, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. Some difficult words for those who continue to wander when the Lord sends reproof. So Jeremiah 14, verses 10, and we're going to read through 12. Listen now to God's word. Thus says the Lord to his people, even, even so they have loved to wander. They have not kept their feet in check. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and call their sins to account. So the Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. When they fast, I am not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I am not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. Amen. And now turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, and we'll see a similar theme of those who continue to sin and and progress in sin and the consequence for them. This is a reflection on Jacob and Esau. Remember, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Um, later, when he sought his birthright again, he could not have it. Um, and we'll read a little bit here about why. So Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Amen. And now let us turn to Amos chapter 5, which is going to be the text of our primary focus today. Amos chapter 5, it's found on page 652 of your pew Bible. Listen here to God's word. Hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. She has fallen, she will not rise again, the virgin Israel. She lies neglected on her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left. And the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have 10 left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me that you may live, but do not resort to Bethel, and do not come to Gilgal, nor cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into captivity, and Bethel will come to trouble. Seek the Lord that you may live. 
Or he will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. It is he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong, so that the destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. Thus, and thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you. Just as you have said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord. There is wailing in all the plazas, and in all the streets they say, alas, alas. They also call the farmer to mourning, and professional mourners to lamentation. And in all the vineyards there is wailing, because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for, the purpose, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikath, your God, and Kiam your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Amen. Let us now bow our heads and, and meditate silently on God's word. Heavenly Father, as we look at Amos chapter 5, uh, we see um, difficult words because of the sin of the people. Lord, as we reflect upon those difficult words, as we reflect upon our own lives and we see the sin that is present perhaps in our own lives or perhaps in the culture, Lord, we pray that uh, we would seek you and live, 
that we would not continue to wander as we know Israel did. We pray that we would, by your spirit, turn to you and worship, repenting of our sin. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Amen. The past two weeks, uh, as we've begun to walk through Amos, uh, we've, we've seen uh, first in chapters 1 and 2 that the Lord pronounces judgment on all the nations surrounding Israel and then turns to Israel itself and says, this is the sin you have committed. We see then in chapter 3 that Amos is kind of answering a question or, or um, Amos is at least offering an answer or to a question that the people might have thought, and that is, what in the world are you doing here? Why are you here speaking? And he answers it by saying, the Lord has spoken. And because the Lord has spoken, I can do nothing but speak. I have to come. I have to communicate what the Lord has said. He then pronounces judgment upon Israel, which is the judgment of the Lord. We see then in chapter 4 that he, he answers kind of another unasked question. You know, are we really as bad as all this? Are, are we really that guilty? And Amos takes to, to highlighting different instances within Israel's history of its sin. Namely, that the Lord would send some measure of judgment, lowercase judgment, and the people would not repent. And so now we get to chapter 5, and Amos has a, a dirge, a lament. In fact, the people also have a lament. Amos says that, you know, there's going to be professional lamenters. What an uplifting job. Professional lamenters who are going to be in the streets hired to lament what the Lord is doing. And as we wrestle with this, you know, uh, last week I asked the question, are we to the point where the opportunity for the people of God to repent, are we to the point where it's closed? And I, I said I thought not, but the, the window seemed to be shrinking. And I think we see that today. You see multiple times throughout chapter 5 where Amos says to the people, seek the Lord. Love what is good, do what is good, reject what is evil that you might live, that the Lord might turn his wrath away. But we also have to contend with verse 18 and, and those surrounding it, which there uh, it is asked, are you, Israelites, really longing for the day of the Lord? For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? Put it another way. Are you sure that Jesus is on your side? I mean, he's not speaking anachronistically. When Jesus returns, is it going to go well with you? Should we say something like, Lord, haste the day? And as we think about this, as we think about wondering whether the Lord is on our side, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to the one that the Israelites rejected, that is to say, the Lord. We need to love what is good, hate what is evil, following the Lord all the days of our lives. If we do that, 
we know that we will be his and his forever. If we do not, sadly, we know that we will follow the pattern of Israel and continue to wander. And what we saw in, our, uh, uh, in Hebrews and in Jeremiah is a people or instances in uh, Israel's history where people had said, no, I don't want to follow the Lord and the Lord let them go. And there was no longer an opportunity for repentance for them. So for us today, we must remember that we have to turn to the Lord away from sin and follow wherever he leads. Now, as we think about these verses, as we think about uh, particularly verses 18 through 20, uh, we, we see that Amos, or the Lord speaking through Amos says this, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light, as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? So as we've said throughout our time in Amos, that Amos is saying these things in the context of a relationship, right? God is the God of the Israel, or, or supposed to be, right? They're, they have a, an agreement, a covenant. God is going to be Israel's God, and, and Israel is going to be God's people. And so the Lord is speaking these things to graciously draw them back to himself. My question is, what if they're not getting it? Just to be clear, I don't say this is because the Lord is not speaking uh, clearly and making himself known, but rather, what if the people, because of their unbelief, are unable to see what is going on? And as I think about this, I recognize that we have Amos's writing, right? We, we know that the Lord is, is, is causing small case, lowercase j judgments to come to Israel to, to lead them to repent, but they didn't have Amos's writing. So what would they have thought? And I, and I think of this, we have to recognize, right, that as Israel came into the land, they were supposed to drive out the Canaanites, but they didn't. In fact, they married with them and they sought to make themselves like the Canaanites to worship foreign gods. So one example, if we, if we were to think about this, um, would be to, to say, or picture an Israelite man and a Canaanite wife. And, and so they're trying to worship both the Lord and you know, the god Asherah. When calamity occurs or when there's a drought in the land and the crops are beginning to die, who do they run to? Do they run to the Lord? Do they recognize that in their only hope of, of, of surviving is if they burn the Asherah pole and they run to the Lord? Or do they seek to run to Asherah? Well, if, if there's any indication from the scriptures, it's that they continually ran the wrong way. We see the way that this works actually in the life of Solomon. Listen to this description of his faithlessness. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, 
you shall not associate with them, nor shall you associate, uh, nor shall they associate with you, for you will surely turn, for they will surely turn your heart away from their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. So Solomon marries ladies that he's not supposed to, who worship other gods, and he holds fast to them in love. We know from, from the rest of the scriptures that Solomon then built altars for his wives. And those altars were a perpetual plague in Israel, even likely during the days of Amos, which we're reading about now. So as Amos is proclaiming this, you know, before he, I should say before Amos has proclaimed this, the people may not know what's going to happen. They may not know that it's the Lord who's bringing this judgment upon them. And so they're seeking help in other places. But yet, we see in verse 18 that they are still looking for the Lord. So they're following you know, all kinds of gods, but they're still thinking that it's going to be okay when the day of the Lord comes. That everything's going to be made right. Any, those, those professional uh, lamenters who are, are wailing in the streets, whatever the reason for their wailing, it's going to work out because in the day of the Lord, by golly, everything's going to be made right. And it's into this that Amos speaks and says, no, it's not going to be all right. It's into this that Amos says, you've got problems, major problems. And the way he describes it, to our ears, might sound a little humorous, but it's, it's as though you're a man running from a lion. And in context of Amos, we would say, instead of recognizing that the lion is the judgment of the Lord, the lion of Judah, right? And saying, I repent, we run away from it. And just when we think we're safe from the lion, we, we get eaten by a bear. Or to put it another way, right? Um, it's, it's like a man who goes home, right? That place of security, comfort. Uh, that, that place of uh, home where you know where everything is. Of course, unless you have kids and then you only know where your shoes are because they're on your feet, because everybody moves everything on you. Uh, but nonetheless, you go to your home, that place of comfort, and you lean against the wall just for a, a moment of repose and a snake bites you and you die, Right? Um, Hollywood actually captures this idea very, very well. Picture those cheesy slasher movies you're a little bit uh, too embarrassed to admit that you've seen, right? Where the young lady is running from the incredibly slow yet menacing character who has some sort of sharp implement. And she's running and she's running and she's running and she gets lost. And so she doesn't know which way to go. And she's maybe walking through the woods or through a hall or whatever and she has choices. And the music is, is building in tension and you know she's going to get it. You know she's going to get it. You know she's going to get it. And she turns the corner and there's nothing there. And the music stops and you go, only to watch her attack from the other side. Right? That's what the day of the Lord is going to be for the people of Israel. They are not going, it is not going to go well for them. Now in Amos chapter 5, there is still the declaration, turn to the Lord, repent, believe. Again, the window is not closed. But as we know from the rest of the scripture, Israel doesn't repent. It continues to run headlong into oblivion, finds itself in a place 
where the Lord does not accept its grain offerings any longer, does not accept any of its offerings or festivals. You see this in, in those, the other texts we read. You also see it in Amos 5 when the Lord says, stop that wailing music you call worship because I will not accept it. So as we think then about Amos, What's so, wrong about, or what's so wrong about what Israel is doing? How can we describe the sin that is present? And I think we can speak of them in three broad terms. You see in the book of Amos and in Amos 5, uh, that there was a rejection of righteousness, of righteous speech, of truthful judgments, of integrity, Right? You see that there is an oppression of those who are most vulnerable in the society. And you see that there is a present sexual promiscuity. And I'm going to start by looking at uh, verse 11 in the way in which the vulnerable are, are oppressed. We see that, that there Amos says that the, the, the wealthy folks in Israel are imposing heavy rent on the poor and exacting tributes of grain, even though they're seeking to live in stone houses. They're, they're treating those that are poor miserably. Now, I need to be clear here, the people are not being indicted because of their wealth, right? We see um, throughout the scripture, various individuals like Job, Abraham, uh, there's many, but th these are examples uh, of people who have means, who have wealth. We see that, that Amos is indicting the people for the way they treated the poor and needy. We also need to recognize that this isn't a forced redistribution of wealth. Amos is not saying that we need to have, or that they needed to have communism and take from this group to give here. Um, Rather, what Amos is doing is acknowledging that the Lord has provisions for the care of, of all manner of folk in, in the law, both those that are wealthy as well as those that are in need. In fact, Leviticus uh, has an example of what Israel was to do. There in, in chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, it says this, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of the field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now, to some degree we say, well, wait a second, if I'm not supposed to harvest to the corners of my field, should I just not plant there? But I'm missing the point, right? The, the idea was that the, the person who owned the field would go through, they'd harvest the, the, the produce of the fruit of the land, and they would leave some so that those who were in need could come and glean from the fields. We see Jesus' followers do that. We also see Ruth do that, right? She, Ruth and Naomi were in need, and she went to glean in the fields. Obviously, Boaz uh, saw Ruth and said, well, let's take extra special care of, of this young lady. And, and the rest, as they say, was history. But these, this is the example of how Israel should have behaved. But we see that that's not the case. Whether it's heavy rent, whether it is um, basically taxing on the produce, or as we read in chapter 2, um, 
taking of garments of pledges and, and doing things with them, and we'll speak more on that in a moment, we see that the people in Amos's day were not caring for those who were marginalized, the poor, the needy. What about us? As I reflect on that, you know, as I, as I think about our own culture, I think we need to have some reality checks in uh, the large part. Jesus acknowledges that, that, you know, the poor will always be amongst people and, and that there's no amount of good and right help that we can offer the world so that there is no poverty. Sadly, I think that is uh, part of our fallen condition in a world in sin. But that doesn't mean that we, as God's people, cannot work to alleviate suffering that comes through poverty. In fact, that's part of the church's mandate. Uh, Just as it was for Israel, so also for the church. Now, we can look at a positive example of how we at Lydie's Church have done that. And just here recently, we had the rummage sale. Well, what is its purpose? It's where we take collectibles, rare and precious, both from our congregation and the surrounding community, and we sell them at ridiculously low prices. Why? Because we want folks within our area to to be blessed, to be able to to purchase the the material things that they need to survive. And our church then takes the, the proceeds from that and lines their pockets, right? No. We take the proceeds from that and it gets... Uh, sent in various forms to ministries, both in the church, without, outside of the church, and in you know, diaconal needs in the community. That's one example. I think we all recognize that there are other things that we could do. I think if we look at our culture as a whole, right, as we look at the nation, we see that we're not doing a great job taking care of those who are poor and in need. I think regardless of your politics, um, I think you would look at, say, our welfare system and say, this isn't working. Why? Well, I think the answer from the scriptures is that the government was not tasked to do that. That the government uh, is tasked to restrain evil, to to, uh, create uh, some semblance of order, um, but that the church is tasked to care for those who are poor, needy, marginalized in society. But just because I say that doesn't mean that I recognize or that I don't recognize the difficulty, right? Um, How do you make one group that is doing things that ought not stop and make another group who is not doing the things that ought to start? I don't know. know, It's something that I think we all need to continue to pray about. How can the church fulfill its, its mandate to care for those that are marginalized in society and perhaps the government stop. Something to continue to pray about. We see also, if we look at Amos 5, that the people did not care uh, about the poor in the judicial sphere. It says that at the gates, right, the poor were, were turned away, meaning they couldn't get a fair hearing. But that's not the only thing we see that is turned away at the gates. We see that truthfulness, righteousness, integrity is turned away at the gates, right? Where, where in Israel, in, during the day of, of Amos, you see that um, it, it's so bad that he says, at this time, the prudent people remain silent. 
They don't speak up. Well, how are we to understand that today? I actually think that's a really good description of where we are today. Um, whether it is uh, our news cycle, whether it is social media, you see uh, clear pictures of information that comes out and you, you then have to say, well, is the information true? Is it right? Is it just? How do we understand it? Because what our fear is, is that um, it depicts only part of the story and treats it as the whole. And as you watch people interact um, with, with whatever news comes out, you see the manner in which people do not listen for understanding, but listen to have their ears tickled and have people agree with them and reject what they disagree with. Um, I, I saw a Facebook meme that I think captures this um, when it, it says, the post is, I prefer peaches or something like that. And the response is, so you hate apples. And we said, no, I, I just said I prefer peaches. But, but in our society, that's the sort of, of attitude that we take. What does that do? That means that we, we no longer seek the truth of, of how the world is to work and how we're to live in it. And we are tempted to be quiet, right? Just like in junior high, because if I'm quiet, and I don't wear outrageous clothing, then nobody will notice me and make fun of me. It worked for me for a couple years, uh, you know, but I don't think that's a healthy way to live life. And then we also see within Amos' uh, day a, a sexual permissiveness. You know, I, I mentioned earlier these garments taken as a pledge. Um, in Amos chapter 2, it says that the Israelites were doing despicable things on these garments taken as a pledge. And it says that he, they're doing them alongside the altars. Now, let's stop and think about what that might mean. If I were an Israelite and I needed something but had no means of paying for it, one of the things that I could do is take my garment, my cloak, and give it to somebody and say, this is my pledge that I'm going to pay you back. In our day, we would say that it serves as collateral. But there's a difference. Because in our day, if we don't repay the debt, we don't get the collateral back, right? That, that's what collateral is. But listen to how it was to work in Israel. This is from Exodus 22. It says, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge... You are to return it to him, now note what it says, before the sun sets. Not to return it to him when he pays the debt, you're to return it to him before the sun sets. Why? For that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. What does that mean? If I am so uh, uh, hard up that... It, I have to trade in my cloak for food or, or whatever. Um, what am I going to do at nighttime when the cloak isn't just like a fashion statement I wear to the market, but rather it's the thing I slept on and in? I wouldn't have anything. I would freeze. And the Lord recognizing this says, if you take a cloak in, as a pledge, you're to give it back, right? It's his cloak. He needs it. He needs to use it. But in Amos, what are people doing? Well, they're taking these cloaks of pledge 
and they're doing indecent acts upon them, right? They're, they're, they're having sex on them. Where? At places of worship. So we need to, to, to recognize that when the people are going to honor the Lord, they're going and they're desecrating their, their brother's possessions. Again, not only is this you know, not taking care of those who are marginalized in society, it's also um, just a comment on the sexual licentiousness of the day. Now, a few weeks ago, as I, we were, looked at Amos chapter 2, I said that you know, pornography has saturated nearly every medium um, in our day. It bears repeating. I still say that that's very true. And incidentally, there's still a connection between sexual permissiveness and worship. Um, it, it is not a coincidence, right, that sex trafficking usually picks up around the area of and the time of the, the Super Bowl, which is, let's face it, America's largest collective worship service. We also see, uh, with regard to media and, and the various forms in which we, we take it in, um, that pornographic material is everywhere. As a, as a youth pastor, I get tickled because sometimes I, I see lists um, that, that a well-intentioned person will, will post and it'll say, if you're a parent and your child has a smartphone, be aware that these apps are used for, for you know, uh, uh, sexual images and, and, and the corrupting of the youth. And I appreciate them because, it, it, I mean, it very well could be true that those apps are doing that thing. But the one that it always leaves out is the internet. What do I mean? I mean that if you just go to your web browser, you know, forget TikTok, forget Snapchat, for chip, forget whatever the app is that they have in question. If you just go to the internet, it's got it all there too. Which means what? If we're all standing here, or we're sitting here, and we have a phone that connects to the internet, we can look at sinful, pornographic images, videos, whatever, stories, as quickly as our fingers can type. Now, I don't say this to you uh, to shock you. In fact, I'm praying you already knew that, not because you've experienced it, but because you, you understand the way that our world works. I also tell you this, because the factors that have led to our hypersexualized life in this world are the same sorts of factors that we see in Israel, where even pornography, adultery, prostitution has entered into the sphere of worship, where people go to worship and they sin. My contention throughout has been that the sins of Israel have an analog in our day. My contention also is that uh, Israel, um, though at least through chapter 5, seems to still have a window to repent. That window is shrinking. I think we would do well as a culture, as a people, to understand our own land in the same way. As we look to the Lord, as we look to the day of the Lord, how can we be confident that it will go well for us? 
Because look at the, the way that it's described in verse 24, famously quoted by Martin Luther King Jr. But listen to, to Amos 5, uh, verse 24. It says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let that image rest in your mind because it is not the quiet and still waters of Psalm 23, right? This is when the righteousness of the Lord comes down as a torrent, as a deluge that overwhelms the world. If we lived in a perfect world, the day of the Lord would look like just any other, where we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, where we love our neighbor as ourselves, but we don't live in that sort of world. We live in a world that is rejecting the Lord. We live in a world that oppresses the marginalized. We, we live in a world that, that rejects righteousness and pursues promiscuity at every turn. When the day of the Lord comes, that will all be judged in the same way that it was judged for Israel. In the day of the Lord, that will all be punished with an eternity in hell. That then should give us, as we think about whether the Lord is for us or not, time to think and wonder, to consider. And as we sang uh, this morning, we need to, to recognize that the day of the Lord will go well with us based upon our relationship to the Lord Jesus. Right? That in him, we have salvation. To be clear, I do not mean that in Jesus, we have just kind of, uh, you know, a, a blank check that's been signed. Right? That's how the Israelites thought. They worshiped who knows what, but they still had it in their mind that because they were God's people, when the Lord came, it was going to be okay. You know, we, we sometimes have that attitude in ourselves where we say, well, it doesn't really matter what I do because I prayed a prayer to Jesus. I, I asked him into my heart. And so I can just, you know, write the name of Jesus on everything and it'll, everything will be, be paid for and fine. This is Reformation Sunday where we think about uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 Teaching and the legacy of the Reformation is where we think of, of the, the solas of Scripture, right? That we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That's Ephesians 2, by the way. Uh, in Christ alone, right? But crucially, to the glory of God alone. What does that mean? That means that when we come to know the Lord Jesus, we cannot view him as our Savior only. We must also view him as our Lord, and then by the Holy Spirit working within us, changing our hearts from stone to flesh, we follow our Lord Jesus wherever he leads. So as we think about Israel, as we see the way that they fall or fell, as we see the way that, that repentance became uh, uh, not an, uh, an available to them, as we, as we see our own world, we pray that we would seek the Lord and live. We pray that we would seek what is good and live. But even if we don't, as we recognize that in the day of the Lord, justice is going to overwhelm the land, we know that we are secure as we belong to our faithful Lord and Savior, 
Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.